Well, as we finish this Fear Not series, uh, we give attention to an event that takes place after Jesus' birth. But it's still considered to be part of that infancy narrative. It is often referred to as Epiphany, the day that Jesus Christ was revealed to the Gentiles. And let's examine this morning the fear of insecurity that caused King Herod to misinterpret the good news as bad news. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. We have a lot of scripture to read today. 17, 18 verses, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 18. I'm going to invite you to read it together with me in one voice. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was filled, a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Good reading. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word in Matthew chapter 2. And Lord, as we examine this life of Herod, this insecure man, this ruler, Father, I pray, God, that somehow you would speak to our hearts through your Holy Spirit, God. Release the insecurity in each and every one of our lives. 
the insecurity that cripples us from doing what you've called us to do, the insecurity that causes us to build our own lives for ourselves. God, this morning we want to be more like you. We want to follow the example of the Magi who came and sought after you. And so, Lord, today, would you deal with the condition of our hearts? We're reminded that in the midst of this Christmas story, full of joy and good news, we have an enemy, we have an adversary, we have a deceiver, and that is Satan. And we're not fooled in the story. We're not fooled that he's not active and and present. He's there underlying the text. But Lord, you have come to give us victory over the evil one. We have victory in Jesus, our Savior forever. So Jesus, today we stand upon that promise. We ask for your blessing this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. You may be seated. There are so many good Christmas stories And there are two fictional characters whose stories are retold each year at Christmas in order to teach us valuable lessons about our character. The first character is the Grinch. From Dr. Seuss's 1966, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I mean, he's ugly. The opening lines begin with, every, every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch who lived just north of Whoville did not. Why, you ask? Perhaps, said Dr. Seuss. It could be that his head wasn't screwed on quite right. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. But I think the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. Oh, the Grinch. The second character is Ebenezer Scrooge from Charles Dickens' 1843, A Christmas Carol. Many of you have seen this or read the story. Known for his famous exclamation, bah humbug. This curmudgeon is described as, oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge. A sneezing, sorry, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Hard and sharp as flint from which no steel has ever struck out a generous fire. Secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features. Nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheeks, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. A frosty rhyme on his head and on his eyebrows and his weird chin. He carried his own low temperature always about him. He iced his office in the dog days and didn't thaw it one degree at Christmas. Ebenezer Scrooge. As we turn to the scriptures this morning, who is the original? Who is the historical Grinch and Scrooge of the infancy narrative? Friends, it is none other than Herod the Great, King Herod. And this might be a little confusing. When we look at the scriptures, we see lots of Herods over the course of a lot of time. There were four King Herods in the Bible. The first is Herod the Great, the one we read of during the birth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 2. The second is Herod Antipas during the death of John the Baptist, really the beheading of John the Baptist. And also in Matthew, uh, sorry, Luke 23, when Jesus is arrested. Thirdly, we have Herod Agrippa I during Peter's imprisonment in Acts 12. And then lastly, Herod Agrippa II during Paul's trial in Acts 25 to 26. Same family, same name, Herod. 
Now, some of us would wish that we could somehow erase Herod from the celebration of Christmas. Somehow we could erase Herod from the Bible, but I urge you today to keep Herod in our celebration of Christmas. This is a critical story. We cannot discard it. And here's why. While we would aspire and strive to be like the godly and the obedient characters of the Scripture, like Mary and like Joseph, like the shepherds, and even like the Magi, Herod reminds us of our sinful nature. Herod reminds us of our fleshly desires. This morning, I want to draw your attention to one of the most subtle and yet most dangerous traits of all, insecurity. There's insecurity in all of our lives in some place, somewhere deep. From an emotional perspective, Herod had some sort of underlying insecurity that he had been struggling with on the inside, and that insecurity caused him to, to act in an irrational way on the outside. From a spiritual perspective, his insecurities were magnified because of his disconnected relationship with God. Herod teaches us that life is a game of thrones. Now, I'm not talking about that TV show on Netflix, don't watch it. It's full of gore, it's full of evil, it's full of horrible things. See, life is a game of thrones. All of us are tempted daily to position ourselves as king or queen and to sit on the throne of our lives. But have you and have I denied Jesus from having his rightful place? Friends, this goes far beyond the day of our salvation when we made that decision to receive Jesus by faith and to follow in his footsteps, to follow in his ways, to obey his commands. You said, you might have said yes to Jesus on the throne, but is he really on the throne? I'm calling you today to that daily surrender of the spirit of Herod in your lives. And I believe that this game of thrones needs to stop right now, today. This morning, I want to highlight three prevalent spirits of the insecurity based on Herod's life in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 18, in order to protect our celebration of Christ this Christmas. Be careful. Be on guard. Watch yourself. First is this, a disturbing spirit. Verses 1 to 6, the scripture says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod... Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the, people's, uh, all the people's chief priests and teachers in the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. The Magi's news of a rivaling kingship truly disturbed Herod. It disturbed him so deeply. And while the arrival of King Jesus is delightful news for the saints, those who have faith in God, it is disturbing news for the sinner. It would challenge the status quo. It would threaten his absolute authority. These magi had not come to worship Herod. No, no, they had come to worship another king, the king of kings. 
Insecure people have the unhealthy longing to be worshipped. You see, Herod, he was disturbed because people were not paying enough attention to him. People were not affirming his leadership. People were not patting him on the back and saying, oh, Herod, you great king. I want you to know today that of all people, sometimes I think pastors wrestle with the greatest fear of insecurity. There's something carnal in us that wants to hear tens or hundreds or thousands of people say, that was a great sermon. You are the best pastor we have ever had. You are the best preacher I've ever heard. I'm I'm not telling you to stop complimenting us. (laughs) Like, tell us when we do good. I'm sure you tell us when we do bad. (laughs) But I want you to understand that we struggle. We struggle with insecurity from time to time. See, God has used you in such timely ways when you come to us and you give us those words that we need to hear, the words that build us up in the faith. And yet, many of you, I have the opportunity of seeing in the foyer after service, and some of you even send us emails during the week, and we're blessed by your words of encouragement. You see, the real issue is not with the giver, but with the receiver, and how the receiver processes that praise. Whenever pastors go to a conference, I'm going to admit we do this collectively. We're prone to critique the guest speaker. We're prone to compare the size of our church. We're prone to compare ourselves to other pastors. And what is at the root of all of that? Insecurity. Insecurity. It threatens us to see people who love Jesus as much or more than we do. That's hard for us. It's hard for people. We cannot fool ourselves into thinking that we made a difference when God made all the difference. See, I can only do what God has uniquely called me to do. There's no point of comparing myself with other people because others can only do what God has called them to uniquely do. I just need to be me. They just need to be them. See, God has revealed the star to the Magi. This group of people, this entourage of foreigners and unbelievers, God had brought the Magi from afar to find Jesus using astrology because Herod had refused to find Jesus nearby using scripture. See, Herod's insecurity not only disturbed his own heart, but it caused him to disturb the hearts of other people. Verse 3 specifies all of Jerusalem was disturbed. Now, that all might mean those in his realm, those political leaders, but it could also mean the city as a whole. And if Herod is not happy, guess what? Everybody's not happy. Sometimes that's how our family gatherings are. If one person's not happy, nobody's happy. Verses 4 to 6 prove to us that Herod's fear was predicated on biblical prophecies about a Messiah. It is clear that Herod had not been reading the scriptures for himself. To know Jesus is to read the word of God for yourself. See, you can't locate him, you can't find him unless you open the word of God and search it for yourself. Herod called the chief priests and the teachers of the law and proposed a sword drill. Guys, Who can find the location of the Messiah's birth first? Who knows what the reward was? I'm sure it was more than a piece of chocolate. Being well-versed in the minor prophets, these Jewish priests and teachers of the law quickly located the scripture and gave it to Herod. And while Matthew 2.6 is a paraphrase of that scripture, the original full text can be found in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, 
Uh, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. And I love this last part. It's not added. Whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Pre-existent Jesus. So what is ironic is that the chief priests and the teachers of the law, those who knew the signs, those who knew the times, were not even searching for Jesus themselves. And I believe that it was Herod who instigated this disturbing spirit. He sowed the spirit into the Pharisees. He sowed the spirit in the Sadducees as it is presented in the Gospels. And you see their hostility towards Jesus time and time again. See, we can know all the scriptures and yet we can still miss Jesus. God forbid that happen to you today, that you have access to the word of God, that you hear the preaching of God's word, that you sing songs that are rooted in scripture, and yet you still miss Jesus. This Christmas, I pray that you'd refuse to be disturbed. You refuse to have the spirit, the spirit of Herod, because to truly celebrate Christmas means realizing that it's not all about you. It's all about him. Second point this morning is a deceiving spirit. We find this in verses 7 to 12. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Liar. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. So they're not at the stable anymore. They're at a house now. They bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented to him the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream... Not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Because of of insecurity, Herod requested two things of the Magi. The first was the exact timing of the appearance of the star in order to determine the age of the child. Secondly, this was an in-depth report from the Magi in order to know the exact location of the child so that he himself could go figure out where this child was born. In verse 8, he reveals his intentions as so that I too may go and worship him. But what he really meant in his heart was so that I too may go and kill him. Friends, I want you to know today, I know it's not popular preaching, especially at Christmas time, but Satan is lurking behind the scenes of the Christmas story in Matthew 2. You need to know that today. Satan is not sitting and just resting and hanging out and doing his own thing. He is not naive in any way. This is the greatest moment in history. This is the inbreaking of salvation. We cannot be naive to think that Satan is distant and disinterested. I think we, under, we underestimate him whenever we celebrate Christmas. Herod started to take on the characteristics of whom he had made king of his heart. He was becoming more and more like Satan each and every day. See, Isaiah 14, 13 to 14 records, you said in your heart, 
being said of Satan, but being applicable here to Herod. I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. A lot of eyes. And then Ezekiel 28.2 records, In the pride of your heart you say, I am God. I sit on the throne of a God in the heart of the seas, but you are a mere mortal, not a God, though you think you are as wise as a God. This is the game of thrones. The root cause of insecurity is pride of life. And it assumes that everyone is looking at us, that we are the most important thing, that we're more important than we actually really are. Herod represents Satan with his mastery of deception. Genesis 3.1 introduces us to Satan in the garden and his first deception. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Though... Made by God, Satan fails to obey God. He starts to deceive Eve with questions so that she would, that would cause her to doubt God and his words. Revelation 12, 9 recalls how the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And just as Satan had led Herod astray, Herod was now trying to deceive the Magi. Friends, Satan is determined to do everything he can to deceive you in order to stop you from worshiping Christ this Christmas. Don't underestimate him. Look for his tactics. John 10.10 tells us that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. Let's refuse today to let Satan steal, kill, or destroy our worship from bowing before the Lord in worship, from presenting our treasures, from presenting our gifts to him in worship. Alternatively, 1 John 3, 8 says the opposite. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the very beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. This is the reason why he came, because there is a pre-existing battle. And today I take authority in the name of Jesus, the name that is above every other name. We declare today protection over this assembly, protection over every one of your lives, protection over every one of your families, protections over every gathering that takes place this Christmas because Satan, the adversary, is going to come and he's going to try to divide you. He's going to try to deceive you. He's going to try to use you to thwart the plan of God, but it will not work in Jesus' name. So no matter what deception lies around us, we press on. We do not give up faith. We do not stop walking with the Lord because our God is on our side. We demolish every deceptive argument. We take captive every deceptive thought. We bring it all in obedience to Jesus Christ. So friends, no matter what deception lies around us, press on this Christmas. No matter what somebody in your family throws against you this Christmas, stay the course. 
no matter how you feel this Christmas, how offended you become, stay the course this Christmas. And as we see with the Magi, that once we see Jesus, we will never leave the same way we came. That's the story. Third point this morning, it gets worse, a deadly spirit. Verses 16 to 18. And when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Herod was known as Herod the Great. And he sure let this epithet of greatness, meant originally as a compliment, become his delusion of grandeur. See, he was a tetrarch, which meant that he was one of four in power over Roman delegated territory. He was not anointed as king of Israel, but he was appointed by Rome to serve as a puppet king in order to curry the favor of and keep peace among the Jews living in the land. And this man was divided in his heart through and through. He had one foot in Judaism and he had one foot with Rome. Why exactly is Herod referred to as, as the great? Well, the first is this Herod was great because he was a renowned builder. He was quite the builder. He built cities like the port of Caesarea, the Sumerian city of Sebaste, and the hilltop fortress Masada. If you go to Israel, you will see many of the sites that he built. He built the Herodium, which is his palace. He reconstructed the temple and expanded Temple Mount as it is today. But second this, Herod was great because he was a renowned killer. Due to his untrusting nature, he killed 46 members of the Sanhedrin in 36 BC. Of his 10 wives, he killed his second and most favorite wife, Mariamne, Mariamne in 27 BC. He later killed three of his own sons, first Alexander and then Aristobulus in 7 BC, and his eldest son Antipater II in 4 BC. This guy's a killer. This guy's dangerous. He's a murderer. And having failed to celebrate his own family, any sense of insecurity about his family usurping his throne was an invitation for murder. Herod understood that this baby in Huggies, this baby in Pampers, had a messianic destiny upon his life. It was a threat to his throne. He was the one the Jews throughout history had been waiting for, this Messiah figure. And one man's insecurity led to an event that is known as the massacre of the innocent, a killing of male children ranging from newborn to two years old. And while we're unsure of how many children died that day, it was large enough to be considered an atrocity, but yet small enough that historians ignored it because this was the norm for Herod. All but Matthew record the story. Well, Matthew's the only one that records the story. Well, you might say today, well, that's not too bad then. Friends, these are babies. These are little children. 
innocent little children. They're human beings who have the mark of God upon them, who had destinies upon their lives. And now we see Jeremiah shows us that there are mothers who are affected by, by this. Jeremiah, Jeremiah prophetically spoke of the inconsolable tears of the mothers on that horrific day. Imagine losing your child. How would you feel? Well, Herod failed in his attempt to eliminate Jesus Christ and Christmas. Now, I know your insecurity would never lead you to commit any of these heinous crimes. So how do we ever relate to the murderous nature of Herod? Well, what we learn here is that we need to take hold of our reactions. Verse 16 says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. What was his reaction? Fury. An insecure reaction can sour and spoil Christmas for everyone. All it takes is just one. It was Albert Marabian who popularized the 738 55% rule. And he suggests that there were three elements to communication. 7% of our communication is verbal communication. That's it, 7%. 38%, though, of our communication is our tone, our emotion, how we say things. And then 55% of our communication is visual. Isn't that surprising? It's visual. If you haven't realized it or not, words can kill. All of us still have feelings in our lives, strong feelings, from the sting of someone who once spoke words of death over our lives, somebody who targeted us, somebody who said a foul word about us, whether true or even untrue. Well, Proverbs 18.21 tells us the tongue has the power of life and death. And this truth should cause us to speak more life and less death, shouldn't it? This Christmas, friends, as you go see family, as you go see friends, speak life, don't speak death. Secondly, tone has more communicative power than our mere verbal words. And if we're true about the way we feel, it will certainly come across in the way that we speak in our tone. Proverbs 15.1 advises a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tone of our voice changes the outcome of the situation. Some of us might go around saying, Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you too. And we say it in this sarcastic tone or in this tone that is monotonous and has no weight to it. It's empty. But the truth of your message is compromised by the tone of your emotion. Mean what you say and say what you mean. Merry Christmas. Oh, that's pretty good. Thanks, Pastor Sharon. You're always on my side. <laughs> we also have an expression that says, if looks could kill. <laughs> we have the most communicative power when it comes to our body language much greater in weight than our words or even our tone. Proverbs 16.30 observes, whoever winks with their eye is plotting perversity. Whoever purses their lips is bent on evil. People are not ignorant, friends. They read your body language. They see the way you stand. They see the way you compose yourself. They see your gait, the way you walk. They can see right through you, whether you're truthful, genuine, or if you're acting and ingenuine. And this Christmas, if you want to avoid some of this stuff, I encourage you today 
to not allow yourself to be misunderstood. Leave no room for being misunderstood. Be honest, be real, be forthright with the people that you'll meet this Christmas. Because I know that family is not perfect. There are problems, there are issues, there's, there's circumstances beyond our, our control. People have said things to us, people have talked to us in a certain way. But this Christmas, react God's way. Friends, all it takes is just one reckless word said in a loud voice and with a glare to sow death into relationships. And as you celebrate Christmas, remember this scripture, Ephesians 4.31. Let me admonish you with this scripture. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Yeah, easier said than done, I understand. But get rid of it. It has no place in your life, in the life of a believer. To replace these things, what do you do? Galatians 5.22 tells us to be motivated to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and ah, self-control. What am I suggesting to you today? I'm suggesting that our insecurity can lead us down that destructive path of destroying the very people that God has sent us to love. This Christmas, let's build up instead of tear down. This Christmas, let's speak life instead of death. This Christmas, let's make a difference because Jesus is here. And make this your prayer, Lord, remove the Herod in me. Lord, remove that insecurity in me. And I promise you, as John 10, 10, the second half concludes, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I want you to experience that life today. Well, as we conclude, let's go back to those two characters that we looked at at the beginning of the sermon. What makes the stories of the Grinch and Scrooge so satisfying is the fact that both of them have a storybook ending. See, the Grinch's heart grew three sizes the day he allowed love to change him. You can see his picture. Look at his face. Oh, He's radiating. He's so happy. Ebenezer Scrooge is given a glimpse of his future self and is convinced to change his stingy ways. Look at this picture of him. Oh, he's so happy. But what about Herod? Not so happy. The sad thing about Herod is that he never had this character transformation. According to the historian Joseph, Herod's dying wish was that someone would mourn his death, but not one person did. Truly, not one person mourned his death. They were happy that he was dead. In fact, he ordered for prisoners to be put to death at the same time of his death so that there would be mourning heard in the land. Not mourning about him, mourning about the prisoners. What a sad ending to his story. And Herod lived and was present during the most world-changing moment in history, the most miraculous event the world has ever known, the birth of Jesus Christ. And this event had the power to change him, but he was unwilling to part with his insecurity. Don't be like Herod today. As we'll be surrounded by family and friends this Christmas, there will be moments when that spirit of Herod will come out of us when we feel threatened, we become paranoid, we become insecure about something or someone. You might even start to hate Christmas a little bit. 
might begin with a disturbed spirit. It might develop into a deceiving spirit. It might end, and God forbid, it become a deadly spirit. But do not repeat the same mistakes that Herod made. He is in the Christmas story for a reason. Because our sinful nature, this is what God has come to save. And there's some of that in you. There's some of that in me. And God, if you're in Christ, he's already saved you from those things. But we still sin. We still fall short of the glory of God. We still make mistakes. We still have shortcomings. But allow God to heal the securities of your heart. And then if you're not in Christ today, today can be the day where you experience healing. I mean, real healing from insecurity. So take inventory today. What are the areas of insecurity that cause you to fear? Because it's time to exchange those insecurities for a new security that comes through Jesus Christ. It's time to displace ourselves off the throne and allow Jesus to sit high above on the throne of our lives. And I promise you, when you do it his way, it is so much better. Let's pray.